Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to Season 3 of Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit. Leadership belongs to all of us. It's not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. You know, I have said many times on this podcast, I think we find some of the greatest things and people when we're not really looking. And I believe I was on LinkedIn one day and I found this gentleman and I started reading his work and I started doing some research. And then I just did a scary thing. I sent him an email and said, I love the work that you're doing. Would you like to be on my show? And I'm telling you this because sometimes the ask is so simplistic, but the apprehension of fear doesn't let us execute on some of the things that we want. So let me tell you who I invited on the show today. We have Professor Ron Riggio. He is a a professor at California State and the University of California, and he has been for several years, but he is a leadership scholar and an organizational psychologist. His early background was in social psychology and nonverbal communication, which I'm so excited to talk to him about. So Professor Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you, Deb. Thank you for having me on. Well, I'm so excited because I've been reading so much of your work and and you write for so many different places and spaces and you've published some books. And I always always love a good intellectual stimulating conversation, which I know I'm going to have with you today. So I've got some leadership questions prepared for you. So if you're ready, I'm ready to get going. Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. You wrote an article, and I believe it was on the, the psychology.org website. Does your personality determine your career? And we're going to put this link in the podcast episode description because it's such a great article. Could you give us a bit of the backstory of kind of when you got the idea to write this and, and really the merit and what you were trying to really communicate And how does it fit in now with the climate that we're at as we're still navigating this pandemic? Okay. Well, so my background actually, and you mentioned social psychology, but my degree is actually social personality psychology. And social and personality psychology have sort of different orientations. So personality psychology is all about what you have in terms of your innate personality traits or characteristics and how those drive your behavior. Social psychology is about how does the social environment drive, affect our behavior, sort of. So push would be the personality and pull would be the social environment. So so those two areas sometimes come into conflict. We know that when it comes to people, we're both innate, we're both uh, driven by our personalities, but we're also affected by the social environment. So one of the things that um, I was trying to do in that particular piece was uh, talk about how people have different characteristics, different personality traits. And because of those leanings, those urges that come from your personality, 
um, it may lead you to different kinds of careers and there may be a, a better fit between your personality and the kind of career that you have. And it's really complicated. I mean, you know, psychology and the social environment is very, very complicated. So any one factor isn't going to make that much difference. But let's take, for example, extroversion versus introversion, right? Very well-known personality trait. And extroverts like being around people. They sort of get energized when they're around people. Introverts can be around people, but they like that kind of solitude, self-reflection, that sort of thing. So if you think about your career then, and just taking extroversion and introversion as one example, is if you're going to, you know, people going into sales or going into public relations or whatever, extroverts have an advantage over introverts. And it's interesting because we're going to talk about leadership. And we, one of the well-known findings is that extroverts are more likely to attain positions of leadership. But what's interesting, and we actually have some research on this that we published about, gosh, now it's about 10 or 11 years ago, that shows that personality is not destiny. So even though extroverts might be more prone to those people-oriented careers, those people-oriented professions, leadership included, that's not you know, that's not a sentence, right? That social interaction and your skills can play a part. So what we found was that all extroverts had an advantage. If they didn't hone their communication skills and develop their communication skills, they were no more likely to be in leadership positions than introverts. And conversely, if introverts develop their soft skills, you use that term in the introduction, they were just as likely as extroverts to be in those positions. So the skills, what we call mediate the relationship between your personality and your career and your success in that career. And it's so interesting because I've interviewed over 195 leaders on this podcast and I don't have the number, but I am going to look into it further. I would say 80% of the people that I've interviewed on this podcast have all been introverts. When we've kind of talked offline before we hit record, they are thought leaders in their own field. And it's just the way you framed it. They love to be around people, but they have to be on their own to, to recharge, to get to the level of of thought and concentration and focus that they need to do what they enjoy, not just what they want to do or should do. And it's just so interesting. And I'm glad that you pulled out extrovert versus introvert. Do you think there's been a change based on your own observation? Are you seeing more introverts going into leadership, whether it be friends, colleagues? Have, has COVID change the landscape between extrovert and introverts going up that proverbial ladder of success and leadership? Well, I think there's a lot of factors going on in kind of the leaders that most people want, right? And particularly in the workplace. So what kind of boss do you want? And I think the big shift has been toward more relationship-oriented leaders and managers, right? We want our bosses to care about us, right? To care about us as people. We're not, you know, cogs in a machine. And I think that that change has probably had a greater impact in terms of we want 
leaders who have those people skills, right? Who can relate to us, who can empathize. And and that shift has really changed in a lot of ways. Now, obviously, COVID sort of threw a big wrench into everything in terms of so many people now working remotely. And we're probably not going to know exactly what's going on until we're able to do research over time. But what that I think allows is if you're working from home for part of your work week, that's an advantage for introverts because you can sort of stay in your space and feel comfortable. That might be a little strain on extroverts because they, you know, they really like to be around people and be around people face to face. So I think the changing landscape of both leadership and the changing landscape of work are going to interact with our personality traits. Well, absolutely. And and how many people I've talked to that have switched jobs or roles or companies, and it's a virtual onboarding. So it wasn't traditional onboarding for a company. And even though they're with their new peers on Zoom, it's just not the same. So it's been an interesting dynamic to see. And I know as we're slowly returning to our new normal, it's there's still a little bit of apprehension in the air, if you will. I've been to a couple of things myself and, and people are still saying this feels, you know, really different. It's been a couple of years and there's still the distancing and different things going on. But I I think like anything else, it's just going to take us time to settle back into what really is our new normal. Yeah, I agree. It's going to, you know, it, we're going to have to uh, spend a few years in this world. I think one of the things, too, if you think about just sort of, you know, virtual meetings, for example, you know, Zoom meetings versus uh, face-to-face meetings, I think what we really need to figure out is what sorts of meetings, which kinds of meetings should be virtual for, you know, because it fits with the purpose of the meeting and which ones should we do face-to-face. I think before this, we didn't do a very large percentage of our meetings online. We did a lot of face-to-face meetings, but there are advantages and disadvantages to virtual meetings. And I think what we need to do is really think about what are the strengths and weaknesses of the two modalities. Oh, I totally agree with you. And I think when there's more important things to discuss that something that couldn't maybe be approached as easily. Again, we're going to talk about non-verbal communication. You can notice it on Zoom, but it's certainly more predominant when you're face-to-face in person. And I think that's a good point. And it's another strategy that leaders are also contending with now to decide what can we do virtually versus in person. It's a time limit thing. And it comes back to that millisecond that we've talked about a lot on the show with different leaders, C-suite really have sometimes milliseconds to make a decision or a delegation. And and it's that time commitment of how much you can get done and and do it wisely. So I'm sure there's going to be more. I can see a future article coming out of you for that. (laughs) I think so, probably. (laughs) Now, my next question has permanent residency on the show. Uh, It's brought a lot of laughter and a lot of good conversation. Share with us what imperfections... Professor Ron brings to his heart-centered leadership? Oh, wow. Imperfection. Well, you know, one of the things that I found out, and this is kind of odd being, a, as I said, a social personality psychologist, 
I had never really looked at my own personality, right? I've given a lot of personality measures, done a lot of research with other people. But I think the uh, the lockdown and COVID led me, I, I think people who know me thought I was extroverted. And I probably gave into that and thought, well, you know, maybe I really am an extrovert. And I think one of the things I found from the lockdown is that I was more introverted than I had been, that I really enjoyed the sort of uh, solitary work and not being distracted and all of that. So that's interesting because what that means is that probably when I've been in leadership roles, I haven't connected as deeply with other people as I should. You know, I think I'm a kind of a closet introvert that acts like an extrovert, but to act like an extrovert, I probably do more talking and not enough listening. And so I think that's one of the things that I learned just from the lockdown, right? You know, it's so interesting because I've had people refer to me as gregarious, outgoing. I am a 100% INFJ and it surprises a lot of people. You have to have that connection So in order to do that, I guess you have to basically show that you have some extrovert parts of your personality. But people have said for two years, how do you like being home? I like it for two reasons. One, because I'm an introvert, but two, I traveled for so long. So it was nice to have that break. But people think because you're outgoing or you carry a conversation or you're friendly or you're approachable, it's just interesting how as human beings, we automatically think they're an extrovert when really a lot of people are introvert. But I love the way you framed it. When you're in leadership, you have to have that connection because, you know, I love that term. Seth Godin talks about it a lot. To have radical empathy, it should just be part of your daily makeup. And you can't be approachable if your door is closed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So very interesting. That was a very interesting answer. Now, last year, my next question is around the book that you wrote last fall, Daily Leadership Development, 365 Steps to Becoming a Better Leader. When did you decide to write this book? Was it kind of a pre-COVID idea that you had in mind or on paper or what kind of moved it forward to fruition and you published it last fall? Yeah. So a couple of things. I had been thinking about it for a few years and the inspiration for the book, I'm in Claremont, I'm at Claremont McKenna College now. And so I'm in Claremont in Southern California and Claremont, the person I think who is best associated with Claremont is the late Peter Drucker, who's often referred to as the father of modern management. And I, I got to know Peter when I came here. And there's a book that that is the writings of Peter Drucker. It's called The Daily Drucker. And I have that book and I have a signed copy and all of that. And I referred to it a lot because reading Peter Drucker can sometimes be intense, you know, you're if to read a whole book. But reading excerpts, sort of daily excerpts, sort of was, you know, was useful for me. And so I thought, well, gosh, that would be a a good way to think about leader development, leadership development. And then the other thing that happened is when our students went online for a year and we lost contact with them, I thought, you know, we work a lot with our students here to develop their leadership. And we do things like if they want one and they're willing to commit, we hire a professional executive coach for our students to help with their leader development. We work with the coaches to get them sort of student oriented, right? 
But I thought, gosh, when they graduate, they go from being immersed in our institute, which is really about developing our leaders of tomorrow, our young student leaders. And I thought, what's going to happen when they graduate? So the other reason I wrote the book was to give it to my students when they graduate so that they can have something that they can, you know, put on their nightstand. And the idea of the daily uh, leadership development is it only takes 10 minutes or so to read the excerpt for the day, maybe not even that, maybe three minutes. And then there's always a developmental exercise at the end, something you can think about, something that you could do to try to develop that aspect of leadership. And leadership is fantastically complex. So it's kind of a day-by-day approach, but it's all, there are also week-by-week topics. So we cover different aspects of leadership in a particular week. So you can read it sort of a day at a time or a week at a time or, or however. And so that was really it. And in fact, the students just graduated and I asked students who would like a copy of the book. And I gave them a, a hard copy of the book. You know, and it's professors like you that students remember. It's it's those kind moments to congratulate them on graduating. And here's another tool to kind of keep things going. It's kind of that gentle reminder of you that they'll have. And it looks like a wonderful book. I'm definitely going to order it. And who wouldn't like to read a passage and then have an opportunity to act on it? Yeah. And let's go back to our earlier topic because we talked about personality. And one of the first things that uh, is brought up there is, you know, are leaders made or born, which is often the most, you know, common question I get asked as a leadership scholar, right? And we know that it's probably about one third born. It's one third part our traits, our motivations, you know, our inborn qualities. Um, but it's two thirds made. And so that's good news if you're trying to develop into a leader and you don't have the sort of right stuff by birth. That means that many, for example, using the introverts, you know, extroversion advantage. Well, there are many introverts, as you suggested, and very and many well-known introverts who were terrific leaders. You know, Abraham Lincoln was an introvert and is considered the, one of the greatest presidents in history. So the point is that we can overcome what, you know, we're sort of born with and we can work on leader development, developing ourselves as the most effective leaders that we can be. Um, And that's kind of what the book is about, right? What can we do on a kind of day-to-day basis? And, And so it covers the whole gamut of skills and competencies and character because character is really important for leaders. It is. And it makes me think of, you know, you framed it as our leaders born or made. And I've had other conversations on the podcast where we've talked about, is it skill versus talent? Yeah. And that is that same thing. The idea of, do you have talent? And then can you develop whatever talent you might have? It might be small. Can you develop that by developing your skills? And absolutely. And clearly with leadership, I mean, leadership is not, uh, you know, I mean, it's one thing if you talk about becoming a great athlete, you might have to have some inborn physical quality, Mm -hmm. a certain Mm -hmm. amount of strength and and rapid movements of muscles and Mm -hmm. things like that. They give you an advantage. But I think when it comes to leadership, it's much more made than it is born. So uh, and, and it's complicated. And so, you know, and that's kind of the idea is looking at the complexity, you know, how can we develop 
all of these many, many skills and competencies that are required for effective leadership. And you alluded to it before, you know, there's not one modality. There's several. There's not one specific tool to help move that needle to get you to be a better leader. It's it's a work in progress. It's something that's made over time. And I believe that heart-centered leadership is at the bottom. I think it's the yeah. prerequisite to working your way up all the way to the top to transformational leadership at that C-suite level. Now, my last question is all around, I've been reading a lot coming out of the Harvard Business Review about the DQ quotient. And I've been reading about this with excitement because I was told 34 years ago when I started my company and I was told that heart and love did not belong in leadership. And if I used it, people would like me, but they wouldn't respect me. Fast forward in the middle of a a pandemic and I've been seeing so much about DQ. So my question is, the Harvard Business Review wrote that having IQ is one thing, having EQ is another, but if you add in DQ, it's the triple threat of leadership. And I would love for you to answer DQ. Why is decency in leadership now such a competitive advantage? Yeah. So I think it gets back to, and I purposely meant, you know, through character in there, because we often forget about it. And I think it's this issue of, yes, we can develop the skills and the skills that can allow us to socialize with people to make, you know, to good listening skills and all that. But if you don't connect at the emotional level, then, you know, there's no real connection there. And people can feel that, can sense that. And that's why the EQ kind of comes in. And that's why that's important. But it's also about, you know, when it comes to leadership, we want leaders of good character because we've seen a lot of really horrible, terrible leaders, right? Uh, Dictators and tyrants. and, And what's interesting, and one of the areas that we're looking at in depth now is really not leadership, but followership. And some of the questions, and one of my colleagues, uh, Gene Littman Blumen, wrote a book called Toxic Leadership. And it was really a book about why do people follow toxic leaders, right? Why do they follow the negative leaders? And we could go into that. There's a whole, you know, a lot of complexity there. But there are people who do prefer those sort of negative types of leaders. But the vast majority of us want leaders who we can trust, who we feel are honest and straightforward and really caring and they care about us. And so the vast majority of us prefer those leaders. The unfortunate thing is there's enough people who like you know, like to affiliate with the, the toxic, the dictatorial leaders. And that's what keeps those people in power. And we've seen that around the globe through many different things, especially during the onset of the pandemic. Absolutely. It's interesting. And you can still have that leadership position at the top and still have a reputation of being nice and approachable and all those character traits that you said, those soft skills. Absolutely. I mean, the very best leaders, I mean, when I, you know, I I meet a lot of, you know, relatively high level leaders and, you know, a few things stand out about those people. And these have been written about in the literature. I mean, one is the sort of humility. And when we, when you hear that people say, well, gosh, that sounds like a weakness, you know, the humble leader. 
But it's not that kind of humility. It's the humility of realizing that the people who are following you, if you're a a C-suite level person, you know, even down to the very bottom of the, you know, organizational pyramid, those people on the bottom are valuable and leaders realize that and they have the humility to realize that that person is valuable and they appreciate them. And so you always see that from the very best leaders. The other aspect of humility that I think is important for top level leaders is that humility of realizing that you can still get better. And the very best leaders I know When they interact with me, they say, what's the latest stuff in leadership? Because they're always trying to learn to become a better leader. They realize they have deficiencies. As good as they are, they realize they have those. And so that kind of humility, I think, is really important. The humility to respect everybody in your organization and the humility to to know that you don't know it all and those people around you can contribute both to the, you know, what the organization is trying to do, but also contribute to your decision-making, to your, you know, reverse mentoring. They can help you by saying, you know, gosh, you could do this a little better. You could connect with people a little better or whatever. You know, and I love that you mentioned about humility because it's really known and observed through leaders when they're so comfortable just naturally with their own self-awareness. They're not trying. It's just it's just a natural behavior. Yeah. And it's so it's so important. And the first step in leader development and developing yourself as a better leader is that self-awareness. You have to know, you know, where you are. You have to be able to assess where you are so that you'll know how to get where you want to be. Absolutely. Well, I could sit here and just talk to you all day about leadership, but you know, we, we do have a structure here. So I'm going to switch to my, my fab four. Okay. And these are just four fun questions. We don't want you to think we just, what is sitting on the top of that brilliant mind of yours? Here's my first question. Tell us something that we don't know about professor Ron. Okay. Well, This one that comes to mind is growing up. And so I'll mention the importance of your early life. Uh, So my grandfather immigrated from Sicily and he was a a shoemaker. And so that's very stereotypic. But my very first job and my very first work experience was helping him because he made shoes from scratch. But he lived in Anaheim, California, and the guy across the street from him was a Disney executive. So he made the character shoes for the characters at Disneyland uh, very early. We're talking the 1960s. So my first job was helping him do the character shoes. And so one of the things that was interesting, my brother did it too, is we were kind of, uh, since my grandfather didn't really know a lot about Disney characters, we were kind of subject matter experts, you know. Well, you know, we had to make shoes for the seven dwarfs. Well, you know. Why are they different sizes? Well, the dwarfs are slightly different. You know, we we gave him information to help him to create these shoes. What a, what a fun, I like to call that an heirloom memory. What a fun heirloom memory and such a skill that we're not getting to see much anymore. Yeah. You know, making shoes from, that's amazing. Yeah. And obviously fondly, fondly stored and engraved in your heart. That's beautiful. Okay, this is going to be a fun one. I always like asking my academic leaders this question. Name a book 
And it could be from any age in your life that you read that was truly impactful in your life. And who's the author and the title? Oh, wow. And you can't you can't use Peter Drucker because you already used him. Well, you know, I mean, there's a book that, and it's probably, you can see it over my shoulder on the screen there, is uh, The Handbook of Leadership is, uh, and the author is Bernard Bass. Um, And I got to know Bernie and I worked with him on a book on transformational leadership, helped him revise it for a second edition of that. And I think why I like that book so much and why I keep it right there where I can reach it is because he spent his whole life studying leadership and he put everything that he knows into that book. And it's almost impossible to ask a question about leadership that you cannot turn to and at least get the best scientific answer for that topic. It might be that, you know, we're not sure, but at least it'll tell you why we're not sure. And what I like about it is it's a handbook. So you've got it there all the time for quick retrieval when you're working on something. And that's an interesting one. Thank you for sharing that because we haven't had that one on the show. Okay, my third question is kind of fun. Let me put some context around it. So I'm granting you a wish, Ron. Okay. You get to have dinner with any leader of your choice. Now, this leader could be living. They might have passed away. Who are you inviting to dinner and what is the dinner conversation? Oh, wow. Hmm. I think I think I probably would interview Abraham Lincoln right just before his death. So the Civil War is over, asking him about that because I can't imagine a more intense conflict than that, than a Civil War. And uh, having read a lot about him and his idea, the team of rivals, for example, the book that came from that is how he was able to bring together, you know, really diverse and polarized factions in the country. And I think that's something we need today. We've got a polarized country here in the U.S. And actually, a lot of countries in the world have that, right? And how can we, you know, bring people together? And so that's why I'd want to, you know, learn some lessons from Lincoln. There's been a few leaders on the show who also have alluded to wanting to have dinner with him and just You know, he's kind of one of those leaders where it's like you said, you think about the time that he led and what he did. And he really was such a thoughtful leader, but he listened to people and he was approachable and he already had the EQ figured out before it was even anything that was really discovered or researched. He didn't lead with just intellect. And it's just so commendable for that time in history. So I think that would be a fun dinner to have. So before I close out the show with my last question, I just want to say, I want to encourage people to reach out and meet people like I met you and you were so grateful to come on the show today. But I just want to say that I'm I'm just honored that we've met and I'm grateful that you took the time to chat to me today about heart-centered leadership and your leadership journey. And I'm sure there's going to be more books to come and more wonderful articles. I look forward to following you. But thank you for sharing your heart with us today on the show. Thank you, Deb. Thanks for having me. This is a great conversation. And we're going to finish the show by, I'm going to ask you to finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? Is critically important for any successful leader. Thanks for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed the show today and learned some new tools for 
for your leadership from our amazing heart-centered guest. And if you like the show, we would welcome a rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And we would love to have any comments or feedback at any time. And if you want some more heart-centered goodness, head over to our daily blog, masteringtheheart.com.